Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Well, the story of Noah is one strange story, isn't it? It's a sprawling story that spans four chapters in the book of Genesis, and I didn't want to make you sit through all of that this morning, so uh, I'm going to recap the story for you in case you forgot any of the details. Several generations have passed since God created the first human beings, Adam and Eve. And as time goes on, it seems that humans are making bigger and bigger mistakes with each new generation. We hear of Cain's murder of his brother Abel, but the text implies that um, humans have become thoroughly evil over time. It even goes so far as to say that God regrets creating humans, but that's a sermon for another day. The good news is that there's still one human, one family that's morally upright. Enter Noah. God tells Noah to build a 450-foot wooden boat with three decks towering 75 feet in the air and to fill it with his wife, his three sons, and their wives, and with every species of animal on earth. Why? Because God is about to bring an epic flood that will wipe out every living thing on earth that's not on that boat. As an aside, this wasn't some spry young man who's up to this big task. As you heard in the scripture, Noah is 600 years old at the time. Nonetheless, Noah does as God commands, and the rains do come. And they're on the boat for days, weeks even. And just as God promised, every living thing on earth breathes its last breath. When the rains stop, Noah sends a dove uh, from the boat in search of dry land, and when it returns with an olive leaf in its beak, he knows that the flood is over, and so they return once again to dry land. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, eight of them to be exact, along with a whole bunch of animals. And God makes them a promise. God says, grow your family and repopulate the earth, and I swear that this will never happen again. I make this promise not just to you, but to your entire family, and not just to your family who was on the boat with you, but to all of their descendants and to every living being on the face of the earth forever and ever. As I said, it is an epic story. But what are we supposed to do with a story like this in Scripture? How are we supposed to wrap our 21st century, post-enlightenment, modern scientific minds around a story like this? A few years ago, a women's Bible study in my previous church asked me to join them so that they could ask me questions that had come up in their Bible study over the course of the past year. And one of the questions they asked me is, Is Noah's story true? Did the flood really happen? I answered them by saying, let me tell you about Mount Toba. 
You see about 75,000 years ago, a volcano in Sumatra, Indonesia erupted. Mount Toba is the largest volcanic eruption that we have geological evidence for in the Earth's history. And to give you a sense of just how powerful it was, when Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980, it released one cubic kilometer of volcanic material. When Mount Toba erupted, it put out an estimated 2,800 cubic kilometers. Now, there are several different scientific theories about the global environmental consequences of Mount Toba, but virtually all scientists agree that the volcanic ash blocked direct sunlight to the Earth for a period of years, lowering the entire Earth's temperature. Some scientists believe that it cooled the Earth for a period of a thousand years, resulting in the mass dwindling or extinction of many species of plants and animals around the world. And it's no exaggeration to say that humans nearly became extinct. In fact, one of those scientific studies estimated the total human population was less than 100 people total. 100 people in the entire world. So what am I getting at? What does a volcanic eruption 75,000 years ago have to do with Noah? Well, despite the fact that scientists squabble over a few details of Mount Toba's impact, like whether there were 80 or 800 humans left on Earth, the truth of the Mount Toba story is that we're all descended from a very small group of humans who survived a climate crisis thousands of years ago. And so even if we read the flood narrative in Genesis as folklore, as a primeval story written to give pre-scientific humans an understanding of their origins, the truth of Noah's story is the very same truth revealed in our discovery about Mount Toba. We are all descended from a very small group of humans who survived a climate crisis many thousands of years ago. Now, too often we reduce the flood narrative to a cute children's story about animals. And we miss the bigger truth in it, the purpose of this particular story in the grand narrative that Scripture is trying to tell us. For me, the central purpose of this story is to claim our shared humanity with every person on earth, to make the case that we all come from a common set of ancestors. Today, the world population stands at nearly 8 billion people, spread out over 195 countries, speaking thousands of different languages with incredible diversity in our politics, religion, family life, culture, and cuisine. And yet we all come from the same source, the same ancestors. An important lesson that we can learn from the Israelites' telling of Noah's story is that we choose our family. That is to say, we choose how deep to draw the roots on our family tree. And for the Israelites, it was important to claim their common ancestry with everyone on earth. And to make clear that God's first covenant wasn't just with the Israelites, but with every living being on earth. 
What a powerful statement about our unity. And yet, the covenant at the beginning of chapter 9 isn't the end of Noah's story. There's one last vignette to wrap it up, the curse of Ham. After the flood is over, Noah plants a vineyard. He makes wine and drinks some of it and gets drunk and falls asleep buck naked. Most of Noah's story sounds like a Hollywood blockbuster. Uh, The part that Brian read has all the makings of an epic like the Lord of the Rings or something. But the last part of the story that Pastor Lindsay read sounds more like a scene from Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I swear it's really in the Bible. I didn't make it up. And it gets a little weirder even at the end of chapter 9 when one of Noah's sons, Ham, sees his father naked and goes and tells his brothers who come in and cover up their father. But when Noah wakes up and realizes what's happened, he curses Ham. Well, actually, he curses Canaan his grandson, Ham's son. And the curse is that Canaan and all of his descendants, beginning with Canaan, will serve the descendants of Shem. Now this next part gets a little nerdy, but bear with me, and these pieces are going to start to fit together. Because if we continue in Genesis, and we look at chapter 10 and 11, what we get is genealogy. And often we might, if we're reading the Bible, skip over that part because it sounds kind of boring. It's just a bunch of names. But when we read that genealogy in chapters 10 and 11, we learn the ancestral origins of the ancient Israelites' neighbors, the Egyptians, the Ammonites, the Philistines, all these other ancient cultures living among and around the Israelites. And in that genealogy, we learn that Canaan is the ancestor of the Canaanites, the same Canaanites who inhabited the promised land that God told the Israelites to take by force after their exodus from Egypt. And in that same genealogy, we learn that Shem's family tree, on the other hand, eventually leads to a man named Abraham, who becomes the father of Jacob and Isaac and Joseph and Moses. In other words, Shem is the direct descendant of the Israelites. And so to me, it seems pretty clear that the original purpose of the curse of Ham was actually to provide a rationale for the Israelites taking the promised land from the Canaanites and making them into slaves. The curse justifies it. But as centuries have passed, the story has taken on new cultural meanings and justified new divisions. And in the antebellum confederacy, Ham came to be the ancestor of black African slaves. And the curse in Genesis 9 became the biblical justification for chattel slavery. Now, we can repudiate that biblical interpretation all we want today, but the truth is that we are complicit in it as Presbyterians. Because it was a couple of Presbyterian ministers who helped prop up this errant and deadly interpretation of Scripture. In 1857, Presbyterian minister George Armstrong defended the slave trade, writing, it was in consequence of sin that the first slave sentence which we have any record of was pronounced by Noah upon Canaan and his descendants. And not long after, Robert Dabney, another Presbyterian pastor and professor, 
who served as the chief of staff to General Stonewall Jackson, wrote, we should find little difficulty in tracing the lineage of present Africans to Ham. It was these Presbyterian pastors, among others, who used our holy scripture to justify slavery. And we know that the impact of their interpretation was real because we hear their words parroted in the speeches of key Confederate leaders like Alexander Stevens, vice president of the Confederate States of America, who declared, the Negro by nature, or by the curse against Canaan, is fitted for that condition which he occupies in our system. So what do we do with this history today? How do we as Christians, and specifically as Presbyterians, confess our complicity in this biblical misinterpretation? A tradition that justified slavery, the slavery of our black siblings with whom we share a common set of ancestors. Well, six weeks from today, we will celebrate the newest federal holiday in this country, Juneteenth, a day that marks the end of the practice of legalized slavery in this country. However, Juneteenth isn't just a historical celebration of human progress towards civil rights. I'd argue that it is also a time for us, especially those of us who are white, to confess that the effects of slavery are still very present today. And so we must continue our work to reverse the curse on Canaan, to repair the damage it's done over the centuries and still does today, and to remember that before the curse, we were one human family with one common set of ancestors. Now, when it comes to taking action to reverse the curse, I didn't come empty-handed today. I have a suggestion for how we can celebrate Juneteenth this year. The day before, on Saturday, June 18th, thousands of people will gather in Washington, D.C. under the banner of the Poor People's Campaign, a mass demonstration in the mold of the March on Washington led by Dr. King in 1968 and there, people from around the country will gather together unified in our common humanity and determined to address the interlocking injustices of systemic racism and poverty. As a Matthew 25 congregation, we at Fairmount have committed ourselves to dismantling structural racism and eradicating systemic poverty. And to be faithful to those commitments, we must do more than talk the talk. We must do more even than feed the hungry. We must stand in solidarity with the poor and the oppressed as together we advocate for broader social change, change that prioritizes the needs of the marginalized. Earlier this week, our session here at Fairmount voted unanimously to become a mobilizing partner for the March on Washington. And so there will be a bus leaving from Cleveland Heights to take people from our church and our community on a day trip to D.C. To stand together with people of all races and religions as one human family and to call for the voices of the oppressed to be heard and their rights to be lifted up. And I will be on that bus.
But listen, there are 39 more seats on that bus. So will you join me? That's not a rhetorical question. Who will join me? Stand up if you'll follow me to Washington, D.C. on June 18th. Come on, be bold. Look at this. Look at that. It's a day trip. Okay, now stay standing. Stand up if you'll think about joining us. If you'll commit to learning more about participating in the march, stand up. Okay, finally, if you'll commit to praying for all of us who are in Washington, D.C. on June 18th, stand up. Stand up if you'll pray for us. Now look around and see the collective will for unity and justice in this congregation. And remember that before we were divided against one another because of a father's curse on his son, we were one humanity, one family with one promise from our one God to love us for all eternity. Let's do our part to reverse the curse that divides us and to unite as one family of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now please stay standing or stand up as together we affirm our faith using an excerpt from the Belhar Confession, which was written in South Africa during apartheid. By the way, I made a mental note of everybody who stood up there, okay? <laughs> Please join me in affirming our faith. We believe in one holy, universal Christian church, the communion of saints called from the entire human family. We believe that unity is both a gift and an obligation for the church of Jesus Christ. We believe that through the working of God's Spirit, it is a binding force, yet simultaneously a reality which we earnestly pursued and sought. We believe that this unity must become visible so that the world may believe that separation, enmity, and hatred between people and groups is sin, which Christ has already conquered, and accordingly that anything which threatens this unity may have no place in the church and must be resisted. We believe that this unity of the people of God must be manifested and be active in a variety of ways in that we love one another that we experience, practice, and pursue community with one another, that we are obligated to give ourselves willingly and joyfully to be part, benefit, and blessing to one another. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.